Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Do you want to hear about a weird encounter that I had while walking around campus? Always. So I have some time to kill, you know, just like downtime in between the classes I'm teaching. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, it was a really nice day out. I went outside. I was like, I'm going to drink, you know, drink some coffee outside. I'm going to relax, hang out. Uh, you're, it, you're living your your dark academia life. Yeah, exactly. I'm in the professor role. I'm like, look at me. These people are like, who's this guy in a stylish jacket? That's kind of the role <laughs> I'm trying to fit. So anyway, I, I go over to this like one this business building side of the campus because they have shade and tables, and I'm I'm chilling over there, and all of a sudden I see this person just like walking up, um, on this like rampway and just kind of like just chilling there, like sitting on the ground, and they have their hand a bit like outstretched. So I was like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. they're just maybe they're holding something. Something business related? No, I don't think so. I don't think um, so. I, I think most of the people hanging outside the business building are not business majors, to be honest. But, <laughs> or or, or the, if they're the people when you go, what's your major? And they say, business. And it's like, okay. That just sounds so fake. That sounds like the, the kid in the trench coat from BoJack Horseman. <laughs> exactly. It really does. So anyway, I get up to leave because I'm going to go take a walk. And as I'm going, I, I'm, I'm already tired, you know, because it's midday. So I'm zoning out. And when I walk and I zone out, I just sort of look forward. So sometimes it looks like I'm looking at people. And I think this person mm-hmm. thought I was looking at them. So they gave me a really weird look. And I was like, why are they like staring at me in this weird way? And I'm like, oh, it's probably because I'm looking at them. But then I realized that they have their hand outstretched. Like, kind of like they're posing like, I guess it's almost like the begging for money pose, you know? But I thought it was like oh. holding the French cigarette type pose, you know, like very casual. Yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, okay. I, oh, they have a vape in their hand. Because I saw this like really big... You know, something was there, so I was like, "Oh, they're holding a vape." Right, as one holds a vape this way. Well, yeah, isn't that isn't that an interesting thing about our generation that we just assume it's a vape because <laughs> yeah, in, in our in our world, you cannot smoke on a college campus typically. Yeah, like cigarettes. Not. Yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, but it also looked big too. Like that, I was like, mm. unless it was a cigar. But uh, that would be kind of weird. <laughs> so as I look down though, and they're looking, giving me this weird look. I realize, oh, that's not a that's not a vape. That's a praying mantis, and it's massive. <laughs> a what? A, a praying mantis. A praying mantis, and it is like eight inches long. It's huge. Maybe not eight inches, but it's big, like six inches long. This huge bug just chilling, just vibing. God. No, no thoughts, just vibes. And the person's just like <laughs> casually hanging out. So I walk. I stop. I turn back around and I give it another second glance, and then I keep going. And I kind of do one of those like office you know, look at the camera type mm. motions. And I'm like, all right. And then it's just kind of <laughs> left. But then I ended up like, I thought I was over with this. And then I walk into the building that I'm teaching it and they walk out with the praying mantis like 20 minutes later. And I was hey, like, that oh. mantis paid to be there. School's expensive. I, I, yes. I mean, I'm wondering, <laughs> is that a, I like to think that it's a, it's a, um, like a therapy mantis, you know, 
like how one has a therapy oh. animal, like, a ther- like it's a therapeutic mantis, or that person is um is study is it etymology they study bugs i don't remember one of those it, it's it, it whichever one you think it is entomology yes. or etymology it's not that one and it... <laughs> <laughs> yes it, one of those i i was like maybe they're just really into science and they just hang out with you know bugs maybe i don't know maybe just like if you really zoomed in and yeah. you looked you know because it looked like they were holding you know a cigarette or a blunt right. or a vape right but if you looked in really closely just in like that little claw right. the <laughs> mantis was holding oh. like just like the, a little little tiny uh mantis little vape. bit of uh reefer left you know oh okay. and it's like <laughs> Uh, you want a hit of this? <laughs> what do you what do what do you what do you see and after you smoke this and just oh everybody god. everybody looks like flies? Oh my god. It's college college praying mantis years. God Dude, I think my wife's trying to kill me. No, <laughs> dude, you're paranoid. But they're mantises, so they're right. Oh god. <laughs> that's a that's that's a brick and morty material right there. That's then that's genuinely a bit somewhere, or should be. I mean, isn't there is the episode of Rick and Morty where they kind of turn into yeah. mantises? The Cronenbergs yeah, episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one. Yeah. Oh God, haunting. Yes. Um. Well. Uh. Speaking of rehashing uh, other ideas, we are back. We're back. Uh, baby. Let's pull down the curtain. The UCM is back in business. Dust off the cobwebs. We have had a nice break. Yes, yes, uh, yes. But I gotta say, I gotta say, good to be back. Definitely good to be back. Miss Miss opening with some crazy stories as well, and super excited to get into what we're gonna be talking about today. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've got this, uh, you know, new lean machine uh, approach that we're going to try to have get you information more efficiently. Oh yes, uh, we, we shared a Google Doc. We have this written down. Oh my finally. god, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, like, discussed things before we were going to talk about them. (laughs) Oh, God. We are hoping this is a new era of the UCM uh, for the better, not that we were not having fun. Um, And we will touch on that even more uh, later. But, yes, yes, uh, let us go back in, sign back in, uh, and go into our first exhibit that we are working on uh formulating our our sort of return our rebirth our (sighs) renewal Mm. uh and it's semi-topical because of some events that uh have have been going on for a couple of years but also some announcements that uh some things that were in the news in the last couple of months that we wanted to talk about but uh, weren't quite sure how we wanted to approach them here at the UCM. Yeah. But what we're going to be talking about today uh, as sort of our welcome back topic uh, is a semi-serious one, and it is the cloning of extinct animals and what some of the sciences, what some of the ethical ramifications are, and also sort of the question of why are people doing this? Mm, exactly. Uh, what, what, what are sort of the motivations uh, do you also think about like what extinct animal you would like to see wandering around? Hmm. I hadn't thought of that actually. That's tough, man. I don't know. Would you enjoy, you know, like your family trips to Sardinia even more if there were pygmy mammoths? That would actually island? be kind of cool. 
I right? can see that working out. It would destroy the environment, but it would be very cool. Maybe, the, <laughs> honestly, this is a basic answer. I'm going to say the Dodo. The Dodo, yeah. I think it's gone a, too soon. Gone too soon. Yeah. I feel like that one... I I, I wonder why we're not starting there. Right, uh, we'll, right? We'll, we'll, we'll get into it, but... Yeah, so cloning animals goes back really to the 70s. Mm. Um, now, the first animal to, uh, vertebrate to ever be cloned were uh, some frogs. Oh. And there was sort of this assumption that the science, uh, even though this was a huge accomplishment, that uh, there, there was an assumption that mammals could never be cloned and that we never really had to worry about the ethics of this because it was so difficult and biological science just did not seem like it was there. Uh, and, it, and it's really crazy to think about this. This is happening in the 70s. You have to think about yeah. how quickly this science has accelerated because by, you know, it's in the it's in the ether. People are thinking about it. Jurassic Park comes out uh, as a book and then a movie uh, in the early 90s. Uh, people are thinking about mm -hmm. uh, biological engineering, um, it's becoming uh, more and more commonly talked about in uh, the United States in particular. There, there's sort of this uh, big push, this idea that this could potentially be uh, kind of this this magic bullet to help uh, with degenerative diseases, uh, mm. genetic diseases, all kinds of things, if we have this uh, ability. And then also the big thing to remember in the 70s onward is the presence of the environmental movements in the United States, too. Right, There's, right. You know, it's even mentioned in the Jurassic Park film, you know, the idea of cloning condors. But again, it was sort of assumed that the technology was nowhere near ready to, um, to clone anything as complex as a mammal. Right, um, right. But then in 1997, uh, in it's kind of in secrecy, a lab in Scotland that that was a farm, you know, they were raising animals. Uh -huh. um, and after many attempts, many of which failed, uh, at last a healthy sheep is born, uh, and this sheep would become known uh, across the world as Dolly, mm. and this would be the first cloned mammal to survive. Uh, uh, some of the other uh, lambs had been born uh, and died immediately or were stillborn, but Dolly survived and seemed to be uh, a, a healthy uh, young sheep. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the Scottish lab tried to keep it a secret, uh, but it eventually got leaked. Uh, th they wanted to do the right thing, which was... Uh, get this information out to the public via a proper scientific journal. And scientific journals, as we discussed all the way back um, when we were talking about uh, prototerics, this is, I, I think, over a year ago. Oh, yeah. But wow. the, the, the highly publicized nature of that in a lot of um, uh, popular news made it very difficult for any scientific uh, studies to be done because a lot of scientific papers will not take stories that are overly publicized. Hmm. Um, but the information, uh, you know, gets leaked and the entire world is uh, obsessed with this. This is incredible. But pretty quickly, you know, and oh, this is 97, you know, so this is right. still the Clinton era. 
But Bill Clinton actually comes out kind of anti-cloning, uh, anti-furthering you know, further furthering right. this research. And you'll note it, because Dolly is cloned uh, with sort of the same technology as stem cells, uh, which is this really promising new science in the late 90s, this idea that you could take cells from an embryo uh, and uh, use them to create other cells. Uh, this has a lot of ethical implications that people don't like, especially yeah. uh, religious evangelical Christians in particular in America. And a lot of legislation immediately goes in to stop, uh, you know, the the uh, th- this research uh, and barring a lot of scientists from being able to uh, look at this. Uh, stuff further. So Dolly is kind of this shock around the world that, wow, this is capable. Immediately people start talking about the implications of what if people start cloning? Um, You know, there's all of these, uh, if you, if you look up like the news coverage, there's all of these sound bites that are like, what if Hitler could clone himself over (laughs) and over again? Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Just immediately sort of the, the assumption of the worst, which I guess you kind of get it. It's like, yeah, you know, we haven't, we immediately it's compared to, you know, atomic energy Hmm. um, as this, uh, this thing that humanity's not ready for. I mean, yes, I, I, I I definitely remember when this was happening and it was like, it just always came in and out of the news, you know, you you were, you were born in 97, right? I was six, 96. Nah, ninety six. Oh, you're one year one older year old than, me. Do- than Dolly the sheep. I am. I'm gonna. I'm gonna brag about that from now on. Who was named after Dolly Parton? That's kind of great. You know, it's it's a little, it's a little. Uh, it, the the joke didn't age well because the the oh. scientist is like, ah, uh, because you know it's this artificial life form. And it's like, oh, come oh, on. Dolly, Dolly, Dolly Parton's a national treasure. Do you you Scottish that bastard. That was the joke? Oh, that's lame. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least that sheep has a, you know, had a really great name. But, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, I, I just like, I have like a v- vivid memory of this being talked about when I was in elementary school. Because it was mm. always, it's like why? Really? Yeah, because this is like I feel like this, this, these stories have always cycled into my like either like school perception or like family perception. It's one or the other, but like mm-hmm. in a sense where people talk about it and it's like, Did you hear they clone that sheep? Well, you know they can clone anything. They can clone yeah. tigers and they can clone extinct animals and they can clone woolly yeah. mammoths. And like we'll get there too. But it was just yeah. like I feel like it's yeah. like every five years I hear a cloning story. It's like something like that, you know? Well, what's sort of happened since then is, so there's, in the late 90s, there's that big, um, you know, explosion of excitement and, but then also this sort of reactionary fear to it as well. Right. You know, you know, what hath science done? Is this our place? You know, and (laughs) this is post Jurassic Park, but it, people are really leaning into the idea that this will be immediately used for eugenics. Um, and mm. then, you know, once Clinton leaves office, uh, this is, I mean, this is something that I remember from being in school is, uh, George W. Bush being very anti stem cell research. I yes, think, I remember um, that. Yep. less from an ethical, 
uh, less from the the ethical uh, standpoint and certainly much more from the evangelical uh, side of it because of uh, the, the use of uh, human embryos in yeah. a lot of the research. And really, this is where America kind of falls behind on this. And a lot of other countries kind of, you know, once this technology was out there, it was weirdly straightforward. It was very, very, very complicated. I, I, you know, not not to make it sound easy, but the scientists were like, yeah, no, a grad student could do this, Whoa. you know. Uh, there, there are plenty of competent uh, students all over the world that could potentially do this process of cloning uh, this sheep. It's not that it's very technical and time consuming and inefficient, <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's not that hard. I'm just thinking this is like when I try to <laughs> rationalize me soldering a synth together and be like, it's, mm. a, it's a lot of moving parts, but like. I could do it in an evening, probably, you know. <laughs> but no, yeah. I, I get what you mean. It's oh right, it's right. Kind of fascinating to think about, though, right? Having been grad students, I think it's actually right. interesting to look at it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe it would be. <laughs> God, it would be crazy if in grads, if, if for your MFA, you clone something. God, oh somebody, God. somebody would still have to come. Somebody would probably give you a weird critique about it, though. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, imagine uh, th that artist that tattoos the pigs. I'm sure he would be all over it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this uh, continues on. Dolly uh, then sort of famously, uh, un uh, sadly, dies at the mm. age of six in oh. 2003. Uh, and this also gets some media attention. You know, the things have died down, you know. Yeah, five years. Like two, two, two thousand three. <laughs> there were some other things that were on uh, the mind of the global stage at that point. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but I don't know. I I don't know what Dolly's uh, opinions on the war in Iraq were. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> oh um, my god. But it, it probably would have said bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and everyone would have been like, God, I can get behind that. Don't listen to Dick Cheney. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, a lot of people jumped to some of the ideas that uh, had been floated around in pop science uh, that Dolly died prematurely. Again, yeah. half the age, uh, a typical lifespan of a sheep uh, that uh, would prematurely age because the cells that dolly was uh cloned from came from an adult sheep mm, um right and it, it is something that we have observed even uh as genetic science has has progressed is your dna does change actually uh oh. significantly through your life that's interesting um you're not necessarily completely set with everything uh and and you know we we observe this like you know just at the the process of aging certain things get turned off and turned on you know it's why why right. we just we change as we age right and right. so uh, what they found though when they did a necropsy uh, on uh, Dolly was that Dolly was actually pretty healthy uh, mm. overall had slight premature arthritis but actually died of a pretty common uh, lung disease that oh. uh, farm animals just tend to get. It's a, a contagious lung disease that can spread among uh, uh, animals that, uh, especially sheep, that are, uh, you know, being raised in a farm together. It, 
it is uh, un, uh, it was unfortunate and sad, but technically Dolly did not die from premature aging and was overall a pretty healthy ewe. Um, hmm. So it, the, the scientists, I think, kind of resented that Dolly had been immediately politicized, that this technology had been immediately politicized. Uh, it, I think, in, an, in a weird way, mirroring the way that, uh, you know, public health which should be, yeah. Uh, it, it, which and and the science surrounding that has been totally polarized, politicized, uh, in in you know to the extreme now. Where, yeah, I, I don't even need to no, talk about know. like what we've had over the past couple of years. We live in a nightmare. I know. Yes. Uh, you know, the science has changed uh, and uh, actually been even more advanced. There is a Nobel Prize winner uh, from Japan. Dr. Shinya uh, Yakamata, who uh, was able to, uh, in rats and then in humans, was able to turn regular cells back into stem cells. So hmm. maybe going forward, this will no longer be uh, politicized because technically with this science, there will no longer be the need uh, to uh, get cells from fetuses. Interesting. Uh, but, but, yeah, but we, we will see. Anyways, so this brings us to the thylacine. Now, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, but if you are uh, joining us uh, at the UCM for the first time, uh, I'd like to welcome you uh, to one of my favorite animals uh, slash cryptids slash just, just <laughs> topics in general because yes. it encompasses so many of the things that I find interesting. Uh, if you come over <laughs> here, these are actually fairly hard to come by now. We have here a stuffed thylacine, oh, which wow. we are extremely lucky to have here at the museum. Um, always, they, it's it's such a shame. They're such interesting looking animals. They're always very derpily taxidermy oh. very very sad taxidermy it's just oh. it's just one final indignity uh yeah now th thylacine are kind of like the dodo in that they are this very dramatic example of human caused uh, recent extinction right now thylacines or tasmanian tigers sometimes called tasmanian wolves were a type of uh, large marsupial predator large about the size of a dog um that lived uh historically in mainland uh australia but uh by the time europeans arrived were pretty much uh exclusively living uh on the island of tasmania um, they were sort of the last of a lineage of large predatory marsupials, uh, that would have, uh, you know, hunted, uh, big game on Australia, you know, things, you know, things from birds to kangaroos and wallabies. Um, there is, uh, rock art of them going back a thousand years, uh, huh. made, made by the, uh, the Aborigines of, uh, both Australia and Tasmania. Um, even, uh, Abel Tasman, who, uh, first, uh, spots Tasmania in 1642, uh, it's unconfirmed if he is talking about the thylacine, but does remark that there is some, uh, uh, you know, large predatory beast that, uh, roams the island. In 1792, Jacques Labindarrière, <laughs> uh, French explorer, uh, properly, uh, discovers, uh, and, and names the thylacine, uh, for Western science. Um, now, uh, 
as far as we can tell, the thylacine as we know it, the modern one, is mm-hmm. uh, from about the last two million years uh, from the Pleistocene, so the last ice age. Um, this is significant because they they would have lived on the the entirety of the Australian continent. Um, uh, well, not not the entirety, but the areas where there would have been right. food. They would have lived both on mainland and Tasmania. Um, but then as sea levels rose, they were isolated from each other, you know, a mainland population and then a uh, a population that remained uh, on Tasmania. Um, now, what happens, though, uh, about uh, 8,300 years ago uh, it, or thereabouts, the dingo is introduced to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it is not entirely sure Um, but you know, it is assumed they came with, uh, people, uh, moving into Australia. Aborigines, I believe have been in Australia longer, but this is, uh, at least from genetic studies, uh, is when, uh, it shows the, the dingo, uh, Hmm. at least starting to diversify and split away from, uh, other dogs from mainland Asia. Um, so dingoes adapt to uh, living in Australia. They're generalist hunters. And because they're about the same size, but have, you know, all of the advantages of being a placenta mammal, you know, unlike a, a right. marsupial, they pretty much out. It seems like pretty much outcompeted the thylacine as the large predator. And the thylacine went extinct on the mainland about 2000 years ago. Um, and we're just a remnant population, uh, in Tasmania. Now that is also up for debate slightly. It's unsure what happened because even the the genetic testing has shown that the thylacines that were left were not super genetically diverse. So they may have been on their way out anyways. Hmm. Uh, and it's also difficult to say if they were in direct competition with dingoes because dingoes being dogs have a bit of a broader variety of things they can eat. Uh, they can, gotcha. you know, you know, they're, they're more generalist. Like we right. were talking about, um, when we talked about cats versus dogs, dogs right. in general are more generalist, uh, thylacines were pretty much exclusively carnivores, um, and what's also weird is Tasmanian devils hmm. only went extinct on the Australian mainland uh, 430 years ago. And because the, huh. the assumption was that the, the dingo drove out the Tasmanian devil and the Tasmanian tiger. But the thylacine went extinct 2000 years ago uh, on the mainland and the Tasmanian devil only went extinct 430 years ago. So the science is still kind of out on what exactly uh, pushed them out that they could only then survive on Tasmania. Hmm. Um, But it is assumed it was at least in part due to the introduction of the dingo uh, 8,300 years ago. Now, uh, once uh, Europeans arrive, the thylacine is very heavily hunted, but even, you know, even worse, a lot of habitat is lost. Um, It's blamed for uh, the loss of sheep, uh, which so it is hunted even more. Mm. And the the last uh, known thylacine dies uh, in captivity in 1936. Uh, and it has captivated just so many people because there, there's nothing else on earth like it. It superficially right. looks like a dog, but it uh, is 
it, it just it, it it's completely different from any other uh, type of animal that we have. Yeah. Uh, it's not a cat. It's not a dog. It's a large carnivorous marsupial, which there just really aren't that many. There's quals and there's Tasmanian devils, and that's kind of it. Right. And this right. was like a large proper predator. Um, and and it reminds us too just how uh you know th- this incredible biodiversity that Australia had prior to uh the the introduction of uh, placenta mammals that just basically outcompeted all of these things and it's also this beautiful illustration of convergent evolution a, mm. a marsupial uh trying to be like uh a trying to also fit this ecological niche now that being said are you ready I I guess so, yeah. I don't know. All right, it's time for Pouch or Ouch. Ooh, new game. New game. New game alert. New game. All right, Joe. Uh, I have for you, I'm going to describe an extinct uh, type of Australian megafauna, and you have to tell me if I made it up or if it is real. Okay. All right, I'm going to try my best. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right, all right. We'll start off. Okay. First up, we have Thylacaleo was a giant marsupial lion with bolt cutters for jaws. Thylacaleo. That sounds real. That is real. Yeah, nice. Yes, marsupial lion. Very freaky. Oh, God. Yes. All right. Now we have Diprotodon, a 6,000-pound wombat. I think that's also real. You are correct nice all right yes yes okay now we have procaptodon a six and a half foot tall kangaroo with Hmm. only one toe i think that might also be real i don't know (laughs) I don't know. It is real. Yes. It is real. Okay. <laughs> it's like I vaguely have heard of these somewhat. So I'm like, is this, a, is this the one I thought of? Oh, all right, God. All right. All right. All right. Now, next, we have Thylocera, a marsupial rhinoceros with forward facing eyes like a human. Oh, that is haunting. Uh, I don't think this one's real. You are correct. Ah, sweet. Okay. Yeah, no marsupial rhino, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Now we have (laughs) next Mm -hmm. Megalania, a 23-foot-long Komodo dragon. I think that's real. That you are correct. God, you're too good at this. I know. Oh, man, this is surprising. (laughs) You're doing very well at this. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Next, we have uh, Australopithecus. This was a giant, possibly predatory parrot that lived in Australia. I, I don't think this one's real. Ah, you uh, are correct. I get really. Oh wow! Yes, you're doing way too well at this. <laughs> I think it's all of the weird information I've stored in my brain about people who are like, did you know Australia had a huge Komodo dragon or there were six foot tall kangaroos? Yeah. I'm just like, I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind forever. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Next one. Okay. Murray Glossolus, 
a sheep-sized echidna. <laughs> What's an echidna? An echidna. Uh, it, it's a it's a type of minotrium. It looks like what's uh, a minotrium? Like oh my god! <laughs> it's an it's an egg laying um and a, 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 a and a, minotriums are egg laying mammals. Okay, and of, I didn't know that. And echidnas are two of the three living species of minotrium. One of them being the platypus. The other two are uh, the long and short beaked echidna, sometimes called the spiny anteater. And I am trying to oh, tell okay. you that there was a sheep sized one. Now, do you think it's real or not? I don't think it's real. That one is actually real. Oh, oh. man, I had to lose one. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's because I didn't know what echidna means. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you echidna me? <laughs> yeah. Good, good. All right, all right. Um, next we have, uh, let's see. Okay. Obdarodon, a three-foot-long platypus. I think that's real. You are correct. Yes. All right. And then Angayungadon, a numbat with enlarged tusks. Hmm. I think this is also real. That is fake. I named that after Angus Young. Okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> I'm getting too but cocky yeah. in myself. I was like, maybe anything's well, possible. Joe, you did incredibly well oh, with you. Poucher Ouch. <laughs> well, thank um, you. Always, always fun to play. Okay, but yeah. So, point is, there was a lot of weird stuff running around prehistoric uh, Australia. <laughs> yeah. What a, I mean, yeah. This that's actually. Can, a very you, can you believe of so so all the the amount of those that were real? Yeah. It's kind of insane, honestly. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Now, so this brings us to uh, a, a where where things get a little hairier, which is uh, in August it was announced that kind of for the first time there's been significant funding put into cloning a thylacine oh, with the intention of uh, reintroducing them to the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Um, now... The th- I've talked a little bit about this before, but to recap, you know, there's always been this hope that people hold on to that either the thylacine is still out there or we could clone it. And I totally understand, like, the yearning that this creature is still out there, that it's not too late. Uh, you know, it's just so tantalizing. You just can't believe that something like this, something as unique <laughs> as this, is just yeah. permanently gone from the world. Um, but, uh, $5 million, uh, and apparently a, an un, an unnamed, but allegedly matched sum, uh, was given, uh, to, uh, the Thylacine Integrated Genetic Restoration Research Lab, which I guess <laughs> a long is name. Tiggeral. Oh my God. Tiggeral. That's, I guess. Yeah, I if guess. they had made it sound like Tigger, you could kind of be like, okay, Tigger's a tiger, and that's a Tasmanian tiger. I, yeah, it's yes. like they, it's like they were trying to do an acronym. They could have had it be Tiger. They could have just had it be Tiger. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thylacine Integrated Genetic uh, Environmental Restoration. Done. Yeah, they they, they missed out on an acronym. Would have been fun. Um. But apparently five million uh, dollars uh, was uh, given. Hmm. Uh, now, 
this is uh sort of in conjunction with a couple of different groups. Uh thylacine tigeral or whatever right. is um uh associated with uh this guy Andrew Pask who uh has uh done research on thylacines for decades now. Um and he is sort of one of the people that had discovered that uh, the the dying the last thylacines had very low genetic diversity, and if we were to bring them back, they would have uh, very low genetic diversity. He seems to be under the impression that this hybrid program that they want to do, they um, want to basically try and uh, isolate the the or sequence the genome of the thylacine and create hybrids of the thylacine mm. with uh, living denarts, which are a type of uh, kind of small mouse-like um, carnivorous marsupial. Oh. Uh, yeah, and, and to try and uh, over time uh, breed these animals together until you can get something that he says is about 99% a thylacine. Yes. Um, and then sort oh of make God. a facsimile of it and release these back into the wild. This is done in conjunction with colossal biosciences. Oh, God, these guys. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I yeah. believe you're going to talk about them as well. Yeah. Um, now, th this has some issues. Um, there is some lip service paid to doing this in conjunction with the... Uh, with the uh, indigenous people of Tasmania um and to try and make this a uh wildlife or environmental management project this idea of restoring the remaining habitats uh, uh -huh. by introducing a large predator to hunt the wallabies that live on tasmania you know which have i uh, allegedly overpopulated due to the lack of such a predator and and just you know y you could see where they're coming from kind of sure with, yeah uh, you know, in America, we have touted very, very loudly how much better uh, our particularly Yellowstone has done with the introduction, wolves, reintroduction yeah. of wolves. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that a reintroducing a top predator can just uh, do wonders oh, to yeah. uh, reinvigorate uh, an ecosystem. So there's some science there. Again, I wonder, and this has been raised by quite a few different skeptics, could this money have just been better used to protecting yeah. the existing environments and pr protecting less charismatic species that people don't want to think about? Yeah. There's also there's yeah. also a bit of an issue here that um, Denarts, despite being one of the closest living relatives to a thylacine, they're still... They still uh, diverged from thylacines 40 million years ago. Right. Uh, and one scientist equates it to trying to, uh, and, and again, going back to uh, our exhibit on uh, prehistoric cats and their evolution, they would be, 40 million years ago, this is about when cats and dogs diverge from each other. Right. So think about how yeah. different those animals are and- Exactly. Uh, how much how, how much time you they have to diverge from each other? It's not like humans and chimps, where eh, a few million years. This is forty million years. Yeah, Thylacines were a a group of while there were multiple species at one point mm -hmm. um, in the fossil record. The thylacine that we know, the modern thylacine was the last of an ancient lineage of marsupial predators. There, right. there are no 
particularly closely living uh, a- uh, animals that are related mm-hmm. to it. Not nothing, nothing as close as as humans and chimps or dogs and wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So this is this presents a bit of an issue. Um, yeah. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of money and resources put into this, possibly object for, objectively for a good thing on paper. I am skeptical of if this is the most efficient way to do this. I think there's, I don't know. I, yeah. I wonder if there's something else going on here. Like if there's, it's not a ton of money, $5 million. I mean, honestly, right. in the grand scheme of things is not that much money, but I, I can't help but wonder if there's, if there are other motivations here, because this seems like a very impractical way to go about preserving uh, the environment of Australia, which uh, is is a is a noble cause. Don't get me wrong. Sure, but th- there's also the issue of um, this has also led to a very popular thing, which is to completely demonize the dingo. Now, the dingo has lived in Australia for thousands of years, and at this point, has evolved to be different from dogs. Right. You know, it can still interbreed with dogs, but they have their own unique traits. They have they are a part of the ecosystem. Um depending on where you go in Australia, the legality around them changes, uh you know, whether or not they're considered a pest or whether or not they're considered um uh an endemic species. Uh some people consider them an invasive species because they've only been there for 8,000 years. Uh, uh but other uh, statutes claim that anything in Australia before the year 1400 is native. Um, huh. So the, the legalities around hunting them and exterminating them and pro- versus protecting them changes uh, at the national level and at the state level in Australia. Uh, it's, it's a little like our protection of wolves here. Uh, like people that, you know, want to claim that, ah, they're Canadian wolves. They're not even American gray wolves. Um, so a lot of things that echo there and, you know, it's, it's tough to, to accept, but the, the dingoes are, are doing their ecological role and what are, what are we trying to say exactly about 8,000 years not being enough time to become a part of an ecosystem? That's ridiculous. When, when in reality, this is awful to say, but they, they've been talking about it for a little bit. But Australia honestly has to really uh, decide whether or not they are going to do a mass cull of feral cats. Right. Honestly, right. that does way more damage to their environment. Culling the rabbits and cats that yeah. are loose in Australia and the, the cane toads, which are more difficult to get rid of. But the removal of those animals would do so much good for the environment of Australia. It's a little less glamorous than cloning this <laughs> iconic, unique animal, which I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's so, it's so great to think about. But on the other hand, it has, Australia has a top predator. And this, this shows us that nature is not static, that right. things ebb and flow. And you know mm. what? The dingo has been there for a while and mm-hmm. 
it, you know, maybe not 2 million years like the thylacine, but 8,000 years, you know, times. there's a, <laughs> a lot of time. There's a lot of people living in Australia that uh, have been there a lot shorter. Their ancestors uh, yeah. were there a lot shorter yeah. time than that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're also using logic, Sam, where I think some people are like, we need the pop science. We need the, the spectacle because it is spectacle. Like, I it honestly is spectacle. A lot of this is. And like, honestly, when you brought up Colossal, too, they're working on another project to bring back the woolly mammoth, which is something that's been in the news even mm. recently as well. Yeah. And it's this, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same issue of what you were saying with the thylacine comes up, where the idea is to clone. It's actually by this this Harvard University uh, genetics professor, George Church, is like the leading yes. guy on this who's gotten some and his, money. And, and well, his his shady. Yeah, I don't know. Is is George Church the henchman or is this this tech entrepreneur Ben Lamb? Is what, I don't which know, one, man. Which one do they they give me a, a an interesting like uh, like. Uh, evil villain duo yeah. uh, vibe. I, I know nothing about them. I could be I mean, demonizing two two perfectly normal people. I don't think they're I don't know, they're man. they're be they're behind this colossal bioscience. Yeah, and it's just such a bizarre like this is literally uh like I, I don't know his his whole thinking on it doesn't really make any sense. And I know it mm -hmm. angers a lot of like paleogeneticists because it's just like this is insane. But basically the idea of bringing back woolly mammoths into the Arctic or tundra because there's a gap there that was left over by them with permafrost, and I'll get to it in a minute more specifically, that mm -hmm. if they bring them back, we'll fix some global warming issues. And essentially they want to do the same thing, like you're saying with the thylacine, where, you know, using um, CRISPR-Cas9, they can create a hybrid from the frozen yeah. mammoth DNA with Asian elephants, because that's the their closest relative. Right. And then they're going to make yeah. the mammophant, which just sounds like they're trying to sell a kid's toy. But anyway. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's it's this just such a bizarre idea because basically the rationale is that mammoths in the past, you know, 10,000 years ago, would scrape away snow to get at plants in the soil. So there would always end up being a layer of permafrost. But now because they're gone, the snow would pile up and insulate the permafrost, which is happening, that permafrost layer, causing it to warm up. And this releases greenhouse gases. Um, and... It just doesn't I don't see how that makes any sense anyway. And even like um mm. this paleon this paleogeneticist put it so quite well, Love Dalen is their name, and says that I personally do not think that this will have any impact, any measurable impact on the rate of climate change in the future, even if it were to succeed. This is there is virtually no evidence to in support of the hypothesis that trampling of a very large number of mammoths would have any impact on climate change. And it could equally well, in my view, have a negative effect on temperatures. <laughs> and it's like, I just think it's one of these things where, you know, my sister and I talk about this a lot too, where no, everybody wants to clone animals and bring back these ancient species because we want to live with them and see it, you know, the spectacle of yeah. it. But at the end of the day, the consequences of them are going to be a lot more. We have no than... idea what this would cause. Exactly. And it could be an ecological disaster, an environmental backlash. Like, just, I, I don't want to know what's going to happen if you introduce an entirely hybrid, you know, man-made horrors beyond my comprehension type being. We can't it, let the, just... we can't let the Russians get mammoths. <laughs> are you, are you mad, man? Oh, <laughs> Weapons of mammoth destruction? Oh my you god. You want to you're telling me you want to release a bunch of mammoths into Siberia? 
Let the Ruskies get that technology. Oh, now we're in Stranger Things territory. Oh, God. <laughs> they just write themselves. Oh, my God. I, I so hope there are mammoths in Stranger Things eventually. Would- <laughs> um, well, t- if, if, if I want to entertain this for a second, I will say cloning a mammoth from, uh, or at least like a, a surrogate yeah. elephant, which, I, I, which is sort of what they want to do with these Denarts. Yeah. Is slightly more feasible because Asian elephants are actually decently closely related to right, right, woolly right. mammoths. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, this is like this very glamorous uh, Jurassic World idea, yeah. rather than rather than all the boring real stuff we have to do, which is like yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, curb our use of single-use plastics. Yeah. Uh, use nuclear, u- utilize uh, nuclear, wind, and solar power. Exactly. Uh, you know. You know. Clean up rivers. Yeah. Have drinking water. Better infrastructure. Harm- no, we want mammoths. Yeah, that'll fix it all. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, this is the thing. And like, honestly, if you, if you, I, I just think it's something we need to focus on, you know, in terms of like the actual issues at hand and like come down to earth, quite literally brought down to earth mm. and say, Hey, what do we need to do to, what should we be investing this millions of dollars in? Should we be investing in actually fixing our earth for the future? So people and species can actually live here or do we let everything go to hell? And then we quite literally bring back mammoths because why not? Why not? It's I just, think uh, here, here's, here's alternative thought. Instead of getting rich people to invest <laughs> in mega yachts, right, uh, which are way worse for the environment, I oh, wouldn't yeah. care as much if they were spending billions on trying to clone mammoths. Because also $5 million, like, you're telling mm. me Elon <laughs> Musk doesn't want to clone a mammoth? Oh, he probably does. Oh, yeah, no, he, Elon Musk should, why isn't he like trying to fund this uh he basically bid against california's public transportation so mm. it's probably t- he was probably busy doing that <laughs> no he probably he wants he wants a hyperloop where people have to ride mammoths underground <laughs> maybe he thinks it's like at 10,000 bc where they use the mammoths to build the pyramids oh my god <laughs> no he's not doing it because he didn't like he ended up uh regretting doing elon tusk for rick and Morty. oh true yeah would have yeah. been a good business name though for that yeah um yeah no it's it's the difficulty with all of these things we want these glamorous solutions but just like everything else, there's a certain mundanity of, no, we're going to have to change some uh, systemic behaviors of the yeah. way our society functions. Oh, God, who rather to do than... that? <laughs> but no, you're 100% Clear, right. Clearly not George Church and Ben Lamb. No, clearly not. Um, I mean, just the title, tech entrepreneur, like Ugh. I'm programmed to dislike Ben Lamb. <laughs> um, but yeah, so th- there's... There's a lot of stuff here, like avoiding the dumb Jurassic Park jokes, like ju- yeah. or just the all of the cloning jokes aside, like this kind of seems like a waste of time and resources. But also yeah. it's not I guess it's not the worst thing they're trying to do because it does have some altruistic goal to it. But I do think it is grossly misleading to the general yes. public uh, about what environmental restoration really looks like yeah. um yeah i would be kind of curious to see like yeah what 
what do people what what do people in the far north of the world and Tasmania, people that actually live yeah. there, like are they clamoring for mammoths? Right. Uh, you know, uh, I I don't I don't know. Um, right. Well, but I mean, because like th- these are it's the mammoth. I guess you know didn't go extinct as recently, but is weirdly more feasible. Thylacines we have embryos and and some DNA from because they they went extinct so recently. But right. I, I I personally think that one is more far fetched. We may see. Uh, you know, a mammoth cloned, at least for the novelty of it in our lifetime. I hope not. Um, I genuinely hope not. Well, Jack Horner for years has been pushing this whole um, Chickenosaurus thing. Um, oh, God. Where he, he put out this book years ago called How to Build a Dinosaur. Jack Horner, for those that don't know, is um, was uh, one of the consulting paleontologists on Jur- the original Jurassic Park movie. He's kind of famous for reinvigorating paleontology in the 70s and 80s uh, after he discovered a really important uh, nesting site of dinosaurs out in Montana called Egg Mountain. He's, you know, nowadays, I think, I, I don't know to what capacity he's actually working on this, but what they're trying to do is rather than clone a dinosaur, they are trying to uh, look at the genetics of a bird and see which genes they can turn off and turn on to get uh, the bird to re- superficially resemble a dinosaur. The idea being, hmm. well, if 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 a bird evolved from an animal that had teeth and a long rod-like tail, it should still have those genes. They just need to be turned on. And hmm. it's had some mixed success. We've actually learned quite a bit about bird evolution from this project, so at least there's something people are learning from it. But the thing about it is I think it's, they're not trying to get a specific species. We don't know what specific species of dinosaur uh, evolved into birds Mm. Um, or, or what there's no line is the reality. It's not like there's a missing link. There's no line really where it stops becoming a dinosaur and it starts being a bird. The, the idea is we just don't know specifically like what species it is, Mm -hmm. Uh, or or it's probably not even a species we'll ever discover to be honest. Um, but there's no specific goal. They're not trying to recreate. They're not under the illusion that they're trying to get a specific species of dinosaur. They're trying to get something that superficially resembles a dinosaur and as kind of stupid as the project is, I kind of respect it slightly more than this because I feel like this is trying to have some... The, the cloning the mammoths and thylacines, it's like, come on, you're just doing this for the for the glamour. This is... Yeah. You can't you can't pretend like this is the best way you could be protecting the environment right, of, exactly. of Tasmania and the and uh the tundra. Yeah, and that's my problem with it, where it's really just disguising itself as trying to help, but in reality, it's almost like avoiding the central problems. And I think with the Jack Corner, you know, experiments and things like that, I think you have a point where that makes more sense, and it fits a di- it fits like a different category almost. Whereas I feel like that's that's for science' sake and trying to figure out the past. Whereas this is like we have this vision of the past and these animals, and they're our key to save saving the earth now yeah we we want to revert to this romantic past exactly We we want to go back to eden and it's like 
it's not even a reality because like like I was saying earlier with the dingoes, there's no perfect idyllic balance of nature to really return to. I mean, first of all, we're we're just going to have to deal with the, the changes that humans have made all over the world, you right. know, climate change or not. Like humans have altered the environment everywhere they've gone. And in some cases, uh, even are are a crucial part of those environments. They're not humans aren't necessarily bad for the environment just because we're a newer arrival. Right. Um, right. There are ways for humans to to live in some sort of balance. I mean, but the this this idea of of this this purest nature idea is also yeah. kind of dangerous too. I mean, oh, yeah. It's um it, it it's it's a misleading view of of history and environment and kind of an outdated idea of environmentalism. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, it's very naive. I'm, sh- I'm sure sounds... there's people with good intentions here, but yeah, you're right. It, it's naive. Yeah, it's it's the it's the technological consequences of our of our world today, where we are so separated from a lot of that reality. Of even survival yeah. in certain cases, yeah. and I'm sure some people are not. There's people who still live it rough, and I'm sure deal with this and understand further. But yeah, yeah, it's almost a second. This is like a separate conversation as, right. as well. But it's something that I think is aware here also. Yes, but yes, yeah. It's a it's a crazy topic, and for sure we'll mm-hmm. get some more um updates. You no, know, every five years, as I said. But no, I'm sure maybe more <laughs> recent. We'll find out what happens. Honestly, yeah. I think it's. We kind of have to wait on it and just see what goes on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, th- I mean, this is an ongoing thing. Hopefully, we'll have uh, some updates on it uh, as we go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, this was a fascinating topic to bring us back in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, like we sort of were hinting at uh, last time you heard from us, there's going to be some change-ups here at the museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be uh, doing these exhibits every other week so that we can balance this with uh, our other jobs. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> they, you know, we're, we're hoping they, they maybe give us a raise at the museum, you know. Um, right. But th- this, is, this is a... A passion project for Joe and I. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, have no intention of stopping, uh, but you know, we we have other demands and stuff going on. So yeah, um, we uh, yeah, th- this will sort of be uh, a little bit more of our format uh, for the time being. Um, but uh, that being said, uh, Joe, I'd like to introduce uh, a new segment. Oh, okay. You know, it's it's a new it's a new revamped show. It's a new museum, new segments. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Lay it on. All right. Me. Since you and I are back to the commuting world, mm-hmm. uh, let's. Uh, I'd like us to share bumper stickers that okay. uh, we have seen on our drives. Um, it uh, recently was the twenty uh, first anniversary of nine eleven. Very mm-hmm. somber, right, you know, right. as always. Uh, uh, I saw a bumper sticker that said, I still heart New York. Uh, the L's uh, oh. were the silhouettes of the Twin Towers. Oh, my God. With very bizarre implications. What does sticker. that mean? What does that even they mean? They still love. <laughs> they still but love New York. It's like, the. I feel like it's the weird, like, never forget. But at the same time, it's like, but wait, do you love New York without them? 
Like, is it like, <laughs> I'll still love you even without your Twin Towers. Don't worry. It's like, what? What? I don't understand. Oh, my God. They're just really anti-mob run uh, construction <laughs> projects in the New York, in, uh, in Manhattan. I guess so. Jeez. I, I mean, that is actually a crazy bumper sticker. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't even. That, that's my, sub- that's my right. submission for this week. Mine, mine's, mine's pretty basic because I haven't seen any, you know, crazy ones like that. As good as I've gotten, it has been uh, passing by a truck that had a tool sticker next to a Nirvana <laughs> uh, sticker, which I just think just says a lot about your music taste. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, yeah. it was. Mm-hmm, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, maybe they just never. They've had, somebody from high school like had it, and they just never took them off <laughs> but hey you know some I'm sure there's some tool heads out there right right I mean so. at least they didn't have Creed they might have actually that might have been Creed there too I don't know it might have been there it was a bunch yeah yeah but um, um yeah mm-hmm. uh yes I'll be keeping that... an eye out for some more though yeah. for sure okay okay we will stick with this segment nice yes uh <laughs> all right now, um, for uh, next sort of uh, new segment, uh, we wanted to talk about uh, what are some things that uh, all of our uh, lovely museum visitors, things that uh, they could check out, things that uh, Joe and I are listening to, watching, mm. or reading uh, that uh, are either things that we have uh, encountered while researching the show or just uh, things that uh, we thought might be interesting to our audience. One thing for sure that I, I actually just watched and I think it'd be really worthwhile if you're interested in some crazy cinema uh, on the Silver Globe. It's directed by Andrzej uh, Zulowski. I'm probably butchering that, but he's a Polish director. Uh, and it came out in 1988, but it was actually originally filmed in, uh, it was starting film in like 72 or 77. Oh. Or 77, sorry, 77. And it's this insane science fiction movie bordering on art and like video art, art or cinematic art, and then just like Hollywood movie. It's got kind of a Dune vibe to it. If you just have like a Sunday evening or afternoon to kill, I highly recommend watching this. It was, it's like on the internet for free. Honestly, a bunch of film places put it out. Like, so it's not even on a sketchy website. Really, really worth checking out. Definitely worth your time. Um, it's, you know, you might be like, why are you recommending this to me? It's definitely weird, but I think it opens up a different lens when it comes to how we watch movies and what science fiction can be. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's been the major yeah, that, thing. That's good. You don't have to watch it on a sketchy site. I've been tired yeah. of trying to, you know, I get so many viruses when I go to uh, kisspolish.me. Oh, God. What? No, you know? that's. <laughs> well, you got to go to Kiss Anime, Kiss Cartoon. Yeah. You know, you can watch all those for free. Uh, you do get a lot of viruses, I think, they on are, the computer. They are compromised now. Yeah, don't use those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, well, that sounds really interesting. It sounds yeah. like something I'm going to have to check out, Yes, too, you actually. should. It's very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. So, uh, actually, I uh, had to take a train ride this past uh, weekend. Uh, and on that train ride, I finally uh, read... Uh, Prayer for the Crown Shy. Nice. Next Monk and Robot book by Becky Chambers. Fantastic. Uh, The first being Psalm for the Wild Built. Uh, 
if you have read the first book, I do recommend the second one. It picks up pretty much right where the first left off. Uh, if you don't know about it, it it kind of it. it it was something I was, I was, I knew we were going to be doing this exhibit, so a lot of that was on my mind. There is a lot of um, ideas about how exactly humanity can balance technology with environmentalism yeah. and, uh, and, and creating a more uh, just and welcoming society. Uh, and... Becky Chambers, you know, takes this opportunity to flesh out the world a little bit more, which honestly, I thought she did a very good job with. I, you know, part of what I liked about the first book was, you know, there was it was fairly vague about a lot of yeah. the, the workings of the world and it left a lot to your imagination. I get a little nervous sometimes when people go into over explanation mode. Um I think the strongest part of the book is just that it's very dialogue driven. It's almost like a, uh, you know, it's 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 like a play. If it, mm. if it, you know, the the story is really carried through the dialogue. These these debates between uh, a a human and a robot as they try to reckon with technology, longevity, and and a feeling of belonging, either to the environment yeah. or to your community and it's it's touching uh it's light but it still gives you a lot to think about and i i i recommend the series and i recommend the book if you've already read the first one um and i'm uh no it was nice. it was a nice uh it was nice bookends to my day uh nice. reading that on on the uh, two train rides fantastic it's also pretty they're they're also quick reads oh yeah too, so no, highly yeah. recommend. That's a great book. Mm -hmm. Yes, and also uh, recently discovered Cut Worms. Uh, oh. If it's a uh, an American uh, artist, but uh, I thought might have been British uh, hmm. when I first listened to it because it sounds uh, like Rubber Soul uh, by the Beatles. Oh, okay, uh, but then it, it but it's actually a uh, very good uh, kind of Americana rock band. Oh, sick. Uh, yeah, very, yeah, I highly recommend Cut Worms. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's kind of what is new with, uh, with my, uh, diet. That and King Curtis. I mm. had always been meaning to give him a proper listen because I love Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I'd always wanted to know what Clarence Clemens' influences are. Right. And I think now that I know a little bit more about jazz and R&B, I feel like I'm finally, like, musically mature enough to get into <laughs> nice. jazz saxophone nice. excellent excellent <laughs> yes cool um but yeah no that that's what i have been into um yeah so those are our recommendations now um if you'll uh come in here we need to talk uh joe we hmm. need to talk business we gotta talk shop yeah yes we are gonna uh there's gonna be some uh changes for the better here at the museum uh but part of that involves uh you out there mm -hmm. uh th those uh, obviously the people in front of us right now right uh, in front and to all you of know, you here at the, the people here at the museum with us right now right of course all yes. of you mm -hmm. <laughs> you see skunk ape wants mm -hmm. to steal my girlfriend mm. 
my girlfriend wants to go on a hike in the Everglades. She tells me it's because uh, she's uh, always wanted to backpack through the Everglades. I know right. what it's really about. Right. Skunk Ape is out there and we need to find him and contain him because he will then steal your girlfriends. Right, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so in order to do that, the Uncanny County Museum needs resources. Yeah, these would absolutely be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yes, in tracking skunk ape. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so they don't steal our girlfriends. Of course, that's what's mm-hmm. necessary here. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but so, Joe, uh, mm-hmm. wh- what is this? What is this confangled thing? Uh, we have a Patreon. We have a Patreon. Yes, at it's last, fi- it finally has happened. Uh, it's you know it'll be up and running, and you can actually donate to the museum so we can help find skunk ape and contribute to skunk ape research and also fund uh our you know stuff here which is always maybe maybe slightly more important but you know help help us pay to uh you know buy neil breen movies and then talk about them absolutely and you know um, we, we no longer have to watch movies for free on on youtube to talk about them right yeah which yeah. you know we can actually you know maybe maybe set aside some funding to find them and there's multiple different ways that you can donate oh yes uh we have different prices here of course with you know the bare bone benefactors at one dollar a month our skunk ape supporters at five dollar a month Leatherman money at ten dollar a month and crab pope patrons at 25 dollars a month snap 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 for crab pope and joe uh, joe i imagine there there must be some some benefits too uh at those different levels absolutely absolutely because we'd love to give back to here to the people at one dollar a month you will get a patreon specific shout out where uh we will shout you out on the show you know give you a call out say hi and also include your social media tag at five dollars a month you'll get a personal shout out again plus any news and promotion that you may have for your own business art social media and we'll also say a one sentence quote on air for you as long as it's appropriate and hate free and at ten dollars a month you will receive a unique piece of uh, uncanny county museum merch and you'll also Mm -hmm. be given the other things as well so a shout out and promotion you'll also receive the ucm themed sticker uh, but stay tuned in terms of what that merch will be, as we'll be posting updates for that. And yes. for the full sum of $25 a month, you get all of those things I just mentioned. Plus, Zan and I will provide feedback. We'll give you a one-on-one critique on your artwork mm-hmm. or any writing, music, photography, whatever you're doing, any artistic endeavor yes. you're doing, any you know scientific, historical, whatever we can help you with, we will help you. Uh, yes. L- we are literally two college professors. Yeah, exactly. So here we are. This is essentially a tutor session, uh, limited to about 35 minutes, though. But you will receive also a piece of UCM merch uh, with this. So it is up mm-hmm. to you, of course, if you would like to donate. Of course, we would always appreciate anything that you can mm-hmm. offer to help us out here. Uh, but just to be clear, the, the museum, of course, is always going to be free for anybody to come in and, you know hear us mm-hmm. out when we you know talk on these tours but if you could help that would be fantastic and amazing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now where can people find this this patreon page with a uh, very reasonable uh rates and <laughs> wonderful rewards well it will be linked to our instagram at uh uncanny county museum on instagram and we're working on getting it on the twitter as an on our twitter as well you can also mm-hmm. search uh the uncanny county museum at patreon and that will come up or at least it should so you know feel free to check those locations yes. out in the meantime we'll be hopefully working on getting a website out there some other you know more 
special features so we can actually host these things a bit easier. But definitely take a look on our social media. That'll be the clearest way to get there. Yeah, we are growing. We appreciate, you know, hearing from people. Another uh, way, if you, uh, you know, and we totally understand people uh, are in all sorts of different situations. Uh, We don't want anyone to feel obligated to do this. Uh, We... Uh, you know, this is just something that takes time out of our week and Mm -hmm. we want to provide the best show we can for all of you out there. It's clear, clearly we are, we spent two years doing this every week, uh, for, uh, you know, clearly for the fame and glory, but, uh, we have every intention of continuing to do it for free for all of you. Uh, this is just a way to uh, to to give if if you if you have enjoyed it, we would greatly appreciate it. If you've greatly enjoyed it and can't afford it, that's OK, too. Another way you can uh, support us is to give us a rating and review yes. uh, on yes. iTunes or Spotify. That would honestly be tremendously helpful. Uh, if, uh, oh, my gosh. Yes. You know, if you have enjoyed the Uncanny County Museum up until this point and you're like, gosh, but I really can't afford to do any of the Mm -hmm. Patreon levels, uh, we implore you to consider uh, leaving us a review and rating uh, on wherever you listen to podcasts because that is uh, so, so invaluable uh, to us reaching more people and getting to hear... uh, from uh all sorts of wonderful uh other in honestly more informed people you know yeah (laughs) Yeah, it it gets us more guests it gets us uh more topics uh speaking of which another uh cost-free way that you can help us out is we would like to begin more of a dialogue with our visitors to the museum uh and we're not going to you know uh uh differentiate them based on people that pay or not so this is for everybody mm-hmm. if you have a question for us that you would like to hear us try and answer uh here at the museum you can email us mm-hmm. um at uncanny county museum at gmail.com yes. Uh, yes ask us anything um uh museum related or not uh, and we will we will try to answer it within reason or uh, maybe even reconsider positions that we have had before, because I think going forward, I would also like a corrections. Yes. Um, and and uh, additional information segment uh, to be tacked on at the end here, too. Like uh, one thing I forgot to talk about uh, so many months ago when we talked about Edmond de Goncourt, did you know that he rented a room specifically because it was rumored that the uh, alleged lesbian lover of Marie Antoinette lived there? I think you might have actually talked about this at one of the tours <laughs> afterwards, but I did not. Well, I guess I would have. Yeah, I've heard about it in po- passing. <laughs> He's a weird guy for many oh, reasons, yes. but yeah, interesting. Yes. It's a nice addition. Mm-hmm. No, we'll definitely yes. be implementing that. You could that. be getting so many additions like that. Exactly. Also, I may or may not have feet pics of dinosaur uh, comics <laughs> that I that oh, we could no. be selling. I don't know at what level of the Patreon we'll be selling those at. Oh um, God! <laughs> not, di- not Mr. Comics. <laughs> oh yes, Mr. Comics. Oh no. 
Uh, but yeah, we'll be we'll be working on the segments as we go to you know from here on out one hundred and one forward. Got a lot of different things in mind. Got a lot of different mm-hmm. tours happening as well. Another thing in terms of just housekeeping at the end here as well. Please, if you could just tell your friends and family about the show to spread mm-hmm. the word, that would be amazing. You know, maybe you're having an argument with somebody and you're like, you know what? I don't have time to explain this to you. Zan and Joe can do it for an hour, and mm-hmm. you can help benefit their streams, and that would be amazing. <laughs> you know, and that way it just you know. It gives you a break from having to constantly discuss things and go on Google and look it up. Let somebody else <laughs> ramble for hours. Yeah, it's yeah. Fine. Let let us let us clumsily recite uh, Wikipedia pages <laughs> back to you. Exactly. <laughs> it's what people are doing on TikTok for a minute, but we'll do it in an hour and really make sure to go into detail <laughs> and sideline. Yes, yes. Oh God, just wait until there's hour long TikTok. I they expand the time every day, man. It's getting worse. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. God. Yes. But we are trying yes. not to be worse. Um, exactly. Yes. Well, this has been uh, a wonderful tour back. I feel energized. Oh, yeah. I feel uh, so excited uh, for where we are still have to go, the topics we have lined up. Uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, by the time you are listening to this, happy birthday, Joe. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yes, almost. Yeah, no. One, you've got one more year on Dolly the Sheep. I do. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And ha- yeah. you know what? And happy birthday, Bruce Springsteen. Happy birthday, Bruce it- Springsteen. You know, yeah, exactly. It's, it's September twenty third. Yeah. 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 That's why we share. I was like, is it him? That- I forget. It's like I share a birthday with Bruce he, Springsteen. He, right? One of his middle names is your name. There we go. Connected. It's the Jersey yes. connection. Mm-hmm, Anyways. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Joe, where can people find you uh, after uh, hours at the museum? Also, do you have anything going on? Uh, I don't have too much going on at the moment, honestly. Just working, you know, been working as a professor and such, been occupying my time. But you can find me at, at Josemino Art on Instagram or my website, uh, JoseminoArt.com. You can also check out my music on Spotify under my name, Josemino. So feel free to give that my album a listen to, Biomes. Mm-hmm, I would really appreciate mm-hmm. it. How about you, Zan? What do you got going on? Uh, nothing uh, else to announce at the moment. Uh, I am in and out of Boston teaching. I'll be starting my class uh, at the Artifact in October. Uh, nothing else definite to announce just yet, but you can find me and my artwork at uh, zanpeters.com or uh, my art at Xanosaurus on Instagram. Nice. If you'd like to uh, follow the museum after hours, we are at at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. From the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Joe Bye. <coughs> Bye. <laughs>